I, I grew up a preacher's kid. And my dad pastored the same church in Texas for 50 years, and then he came and served as our care pastor for 13. And you should understand the church I grew in wasn't much like New Spring. It was a small church. And when I was a young kid, we didn't have any full-time janitor in our church, so my dad and I were the janitors. And so on Saturday afternoons, we'd go to the, we'd go to the church, and we would clean, we would clean it. And, and I can remember many times in the worship center, he would have a broom, and I'd have a broom, and we'd be sweeping in between the pews. And, and Dad would sort of catechize me, or, or he would sort of Q&A me when it came to Scripture verses that were most important to him. And it's amazing, after all these years, even though my dad is in heaven, I still think about the verses that my dad taught me when I was a small kid. For instance, verses like John 14, 13, and whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And Dad would say, Mark, if you need something from God, what do you do? I ask, you know, what will God do? He'll answer my prayer. Why? So that Jesus will be glorified. So we sort of did that thing on and on. And, you know, Philippians 4, 19, and my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and a sound mind. These are just verses that my dad taught me over and over. And then he would quiz me about them because he wanted them to be part of my fabric just like they were part of his. Well, I don't think there was any verse that my dad taught me as much as he taught me the one that we're going to be talking about today. He would ask me the question, what does it gain a man? What does it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? And he would ask me that question. Hey, Mark, while we were pushing the broom, you know, what, what if you were to get the whole world, but you died and, went to go to, died and went to hell? What would it be worth to you? I'd say, nothing, Dad. That was my chance to answer. Hey, Mark, <laughs> pushing the broom. Hey, listen, what, what, what would it be like if you could get the whole world? Nobody's ever going to do that, but what if you got the whole world and you died and went to hell? What would it be worth to you? Nothing, Dad. And you know, after all these years, that verse is still in my mind so much so that on this question, this, this series about God questions, I, I'm targeting this particular question as one of our five, six weeks of asking questions that God asks. You know, I will tell you this though, when I was a kid growing up, one of the most challenging concepts that I had to deal with was the soul. You know, it's a, it's a very abstract concept and the idea of what a soul is, is hard for me to, to wrap my mind around. Because, you know, the thing of it is, the soul is sort of invisible. I heard things about people losing their souls, and I heard things about people, um, you know, their souls being lost and going to hell. But then I would ask myself, what is a soul? And I had a hard time trying to figure that out. And so today I want to I talk to you for a few moments about what the soul is before we get into this thing. What would a person be profited if they gained the whole world and lost their soul? So here's what I'm going to do, and I'm going to ask for your indulgence what I want to do is I want to take you on a journey of Scripture. And these Scriptures have things to say about our soul. So let's start in the first mention of soul in the Bible. And for that, I want to go to the book of Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. And we're in creation. So here we go. And the Lord God made man from the dust of the earth. And I know that every once in a while people will will challenge that and say, oh, I don't really believe that God made Adam from the earth. They'll kind of laugh about that, oh, God making Adam out of dirt. But it's sort of interesting that the Ames Research Institute, which is part of NASA, determined that human body has 59 elements at least, and those same 59 elements are found in soil or in the earth's crust. And one of the NASA experts said, turns out the Bible was not very far off. Well, actually, turns out the Bible wasn't off at all. You know, and someone could say, well, I just don't know. I still believe in evolution. Okay, you do realize that, of course, that just one protein in your body, the likelihood of it happening by accident is one in one with 243 zeros after it, which would be like uh, the tantamount to a snowball's chance in hell. But I would just make the point that the Bible does say that the Lord made us from the dust of the earth, breathing into him the breath of life, and man became 
a living soul. Well, this concept of soul is kind of hard to wrap our minds around. And it's interesting because sometimes the more existential a concept is, the more challenging it is to define it in a simple statement. So what we're going to watch is we're going to watch the definition of soul grow as God shows us what happens. But for me, this is the first really, really helpful concept to the soul because you realize that God started out by making a body. He formed the body. But the body did not have a soul until God breathed the breath of life into it. And at that moment, man became a living soul. What I draw from that is that your soul is distinguished from your body. These are not great definitions, but these are the best ones that I can come up with when I think about what the soul is. The soul is your life. It is your being. It is your personhood. It is your will. It is your mind. I'll I'll try my best to define the soul in two words, and the soul is much bigger than this, but the soul is your real self. Let me tell you what our issue with that is in the Western world. We tend to think our bodies are our real selves. And I know, I think I can prove it with this. We tend to say we have a soul. But that's not really true. It would be much more accurate to say we have a body. Because your soul is you. Your body is not you. Someday your soul is going to vacate your body. I've been around when many people have passed, and I can tell you that it isn't long after the life leaves the body that the body undergoes great and very rapid changes because the soul has left. See, God made the body first, and then when he breathed the breath of life into Adam, Adam became a person. Some of you will have being in your translation. Others of you will have person. But the truth be told is when God breathed the breath of life, Adam became a soul that had a body. Which, by the way, this is not my topic today, but every once in a while someone will say, well, I really don't know about worship. I like to come hear the talk, but I don't know about all this singing thing, and I just kind of like stand and wait for that. Let me say something to you that may change your view of worship. Do you know what happens in worship? You take the breath that God breathed into you and you breathe it back to him. That's why worship is so important. You know, he's like, well, I'm just going to like stand here and wait for it to be over. Really? Are you a dead body? Are you breathing? Well, if you're breathing, then breathe back that worship to God. That's why worship is so big. That's not my topic, but it's real good. It's worth driving here today. Now, here's the thing. If we're not careful, thinking that our body is our real self and we have a soul, we will begin to interpret life in terms of the shape of our body. For instance, there will be someone, and I understand what they mean by this, but they'll say, well, I have diabetes. No, you don't have diabetes. Your body has diabetes. And you could say, well, well, I have heart disease. No, your body has heart disease. You don't have heart disease. And someone could say, well, Mark, I've been to the doctor, and the doctor's told me that I have six months to live. I have good news for you. You have eternity to live. Your body might, if the doctor's correct, have six months. See, you are not your body. You live in your body. I know if you're 25 years old, you say, hey, Mark, I'm buff and I'm ripped. Yeah, but wait till you see what time and gravity do with that. (laughs) Okay, that's our first verse that we looked at in the journey. God formed the body, but Adam was not a soul till God breathed the breath of life into him. Here's the second verse I want to show you that corroborates what we just said. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus is talking. He said, don't be afraid of those who kill the body, but who cannot kill the soul. And I hope that no one ever takes your life. Murder is an awful thing. My youngest uncle was murdered, brutally murdered. 
I don't even remember how many times he was stabbed, a home invasion. But you know, they could only kill his body. They couldn't kill Eugene Saul. And I think about that a lot. See, a person could actually take your body, but they cannot kill your soul. Jesus went on to say, rather fear him who can, notice he uses a different word than kill, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. All right, let's draw a subtotal. What have we learned so far? Soul exists. Number two, it lives on after the body is gone. In fact, when you read the Bible, you will find people who appeared on the earth after they had, their physical life was over. I can think of four at least. There was Samuel, Moses, Elijah, and Abraham. These were, they, were still late. they were still who they were. They had not lost their identity. Moses was still Moses. Elijah was still Elijah. Samuel was still Samuel. Abraham was still Abraham. But they no longer existed in the bodies that they had while they were on, on the earth. So the soul lives on after the body is gone. Now, according to Jesus' statement, the third conclusion that we draw is I have to determine and you have to determine which is more important. And that's why, for all of you who are here today, I'm so glad you guys are here. But, you know, Solomon said something in the book of Ecclesiastes. He said, guard your mind when you go to the house of God. And he went on to explain why. Because you're going to hear things that you're going to be accountable for later. You remember when you are in college? Some of you still are. And you remember when the professor said, hey, you'll see this again? So this is really important. You know, Jesus is making the point that you have to determine whether you're going to make the greater investment in the part of you that's going to live forever or if you're going to make the investment in the part of you that's going to be here for a while and it's going to pass away. So we've, we've gotten those three conclusions already. But now we're headed for a fourth and a very serious conclusion. Let me take you now to a story that Jesus told in the Gospel of Luke chapter 12. His story is about a rich guy. In those days, they weren't so currency-oriented as we are. So wealth was not necessarily measured in how much currency a person had, or you know, they definitely didn't have mutual funds and stocks and all those kinds of things. Wealth was measured in land and produce and cattle. That's how a person got very wealthy. So there's a farmer that Jesus is talking about, but he, you know, his farm is successful, then he buys the next piece of land over, and then he buys the farm beyond, he just buys more and more land. And all of a sudden, one day he wakes up and he realizes that he has grown more crops and has more produce than he can possibly sell or store. And so he's trying to figure out what his business plan is for the rest of his life. Let's read together, because now we're going to learn something really, really important about our souls. He thought within himself, saying, what shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I'll do this. I'll pull down my barns and I'll build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. Now, this is a freaky conversation. Look at this. And I will say to my soul, soul, <laughs> you have many goods laid up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Now, let me tell you what my problem is, because I know what Jesus is going to say to this guy, and it's not good. My issue with this is he just described the American dream. I mean, what this man just describes is what most American Christians and most American churches are hoping for. He's just said, you know what, my business has been so successful, I'm just going to get more and more capability and capacity, and then I'm just going to sit back and take it easy and do whatever I want to. I mean, he didn't say, I'm going to go out and chase women. He didn't say, I'm going to go out and just shoot drugs. He didn't say, I'm going to go out and stay stoned the rest of my life. He just said, I'm just going to take it easy. And yet, what does God say to him? Look at this. And this, we know how seriously God takes this word. But God said, fool, this night your soul will be required from you. And then who's all this stuff going to be? 
Well, the fourth thought that's so important, we already saw the soul exists, and we saw that we live on after the soul, and Jesus is saying you have to decide which one you're going to put more emphasis on, but the fourth thing that we learn is that your soul can be lost, because this guy lost his soul. He had all the money, he had all the stuff, he had all the toys, he had all the plans, and yet Jesus said, God came along and said, you're a fool, because you've, been, you've made all your investment in the person that's only going to be here for a little while, and your soul is going to be taken from you. Now let's go a little deeper. What would it be like if you or I lost our souls? I mean, exactly what would that look like? You know, it's strange because every once in a while I'll meet someone who's very secular and like on an airplane or something, and, and I'll try to hide from them what I do as long as I possibly can. But when they find out I'm a pastor, oh, you're out there saving souls and kind of laugh. You know, I'm betting about 30 seconds in hell would take that smirk off. Let me show you what I mean. Here's another rich guy. I don't know if it was the same rich guy or not, but Jesus is just telling the story. And every once in a while, somebody will say, this is a parable. This is not a parable because Jesus uses real names. He said the rich man, well, let me just tell you this story before we get there. Um, there was a guy that was very rich, and the Bible said he lived deliciously every day. He ate the best food, wore the best clothes. He's American, okay? And there was a street person. It's so interesting to me, New Spring, God never tells us the rich man's name. It's as if it doesn't matter, but he tells us the street person's name. His name is Lazarus, which is a Greek form of Eleazar, which means my God is king. So evidently, he's a Christ follower. The only problem is he's dying, and he has lesions all over his body, and his friends street people. They can't help him. So they take him to the gate of this rich guy who's got everything, and they leave him there in the hopes that the rich guy will do something to help him because every day he has to walk out his gate and walk past this guy this miserable heap of humanity, Lazarus, who's lying there outside his gate dying with lesions. But every day he walks right past him. You can't see him. And you know, Lazarus began to ask him for something. Lazarus said, listen, please, sir, could I have the crumbs that fall from your table? I used to hear that when I was in church. And I'd think, well, okay, guys, ask him for leftovers. Hey, hope you're not eating anytime soon, okay? Let me tell you what he was asking for. See, rich people back in the day, they, they, they didn't eat with forks and knives like you and I do, hopefully. Um, they ate with their hands. And so when you used to say you're eating fried chicken or you're eating ribs or something and, and you're eating it with your hands, your hands get all soiled. Well, well they didn't have napkins. What they do, they tear off a piece of bread and they wipe their hands on the bread and toss it on the table for the dogs to eat. So when Lazarus was asking him for the crumbs that fell from his table, he was just saying, sir, please, could I just have some of the bread that you, that you wipe your soiled hands on and toss under the table for the dogs? And the rich guy couldn't even see him for that. Okay? They're both going to die. Well, by the way, we won't read about Lazarus dying, but this is really cool. I'm not very wealthy, but every once in a while I've had somebody send a limousine for me if I'm speaking somewhere or something. You ever have anybody send a limo for you? It's a cool thing. <laughs> or a motorcade. This street person dies, and the Bible says, Lazarus, when he died, the angels came and escorted him to paradise. Now, that's a ride. Yeah. Now, the rich man died, the Bible said, and was buried, and his soul went to the place of the dead. The Greek word is Hades. We get a word hell from that. There in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in these flames. You know, once in a while, somebody will say, 
hey, Mark, don't you think all that stuff about hell and fire, don't you think that's sort of metaphorical? And I think this life is all the hell we're going through. And does that sound metaphorical to you? Would you send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and touch my tongue because I'm tormented in these flames? And by the way, this is no wild-haired Old Testament prophet raving. This is loving, tender, child-blessing Jesus. But Abraham said to him, listen, I've been preaching since I was 16. This is probably the scariest word I can think of in the Bible. Son, he's talking to the rich man in hell. Remember. You know, for me, I don't know what, I don't know what you think makes hell hell, but for me, I think one of the things that is going to make it hell for a lot of people who are there is they can remember they didn't have to be there. And so Abraham says, son, remember that you in your lifetime had everything you wanted. And Lazarus had nothing. But now he is here being comforted and you are in anguish. And beside all that, there is a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here and no one can cross over to us from there. In other words, he's saying you can't get out. What would it be like to lose your soul? Jesus just gave us a video. You know, we have Judgment House coming up, and there's always a hell scene, and I'll go through it. Of course, we always tell people this is an intense scene. You might not want small children to come through or young children, or if you have a problem with this, you just might not want to come through. And every time I go through it, I think, you know what? Hell's worse than this. So what have we learned so far? We've learned the soul is real. lives on after you die. Jesus is saying, hey, you better pay more attention to the part of you that's going to live forever than the part of you that's temporary. We learned that the soul can be lost, and now we know what it looks like for the soul to be lost. So with all of what we know now, we are prepared for Jesus' question. In the Gospel of Mark, actually this is in three of the Gospels, but we're choosing Mark's Gospel. Jesus says, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? And then there was a follow-up question. Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? You know, I've got a lot of friends and family who always challenge me. Hey, Mark, you need to write a book, but I can't sit down long enough to write a book. But if I ever do write a book, I want to write a book on the business principles of Jesus. Because Jesus is a businessman. And it is amazing to me how many things that Jesus puts in a business context. Have you ever thought about this key issue of life, which is what happens to your soul, Jesus puts this down as a business prospect. He uses terms like gain and loss and profit. You know, if I had a business and you wanted to buy it, and so you came to talk to me and you said, Mark, I'm interested in buying your business. And I said, oh, man, we're doing great. Look at all this revenue stream we have. We got money coming in left and right. We got purchase orders for all kinds of product here. Trust me, this is a great business. You're going to say, Mark, before I buy your business... My attorney says, I need to see your P&L statement. Yeah, because you see, not only do you have a revenue stream, you also have money going out the back door. And no matter how much money you have coming in, if you got more going out the back door, the P&L statement will reflect that it's not a good idea to buy my company. You know what I discover when I talk to people today? So many people in this world are so excited to tell me about the stuff they have. Oh, I got this coming in. I got this income coming in. I've got this house I'm buying. I've got these cars I'm buying. I've got this membership at this elite country club. And I've got this vacation home. And I've got this and I've got that. They're telling me all about the revenue stream. But here's the thing. Jesus is saying, look, this is a P&L statement. What are you profited if you gain the whole world and you lost your soul? Big question. Now, this is so important. Of all the other things I've said today, 
this is one to really think about. How does a person lose their soul? You know, there's the old ancient legend of Faust that you probably read when you were in college. There are all kinds of versions of that, but Dr. Fausta sold his soul to a demon, Mephistopheles. It's all fictional for pleasure. How, how do you lose your soul? I mean, do you make a deal with the devil? Somebody put their soul on eBay not long ago. I kind of thought, how would you ship it, you know? <laughs> how do you really lose your soul? It's real simple. You lose your soul by neglect while you're in the pursuit of the things this world offers. Now, I want us to just think for a moment about what's wrong with the stuff of this world. There are two problems with it. The first problem that we have with it isn't going to last. I mean, whatever you acquire, whatever you gain in this world, you do know that when you die, it all goes back to the box. Listen, I've been in the morgue a few times, and when I can just tell you this, not trying to be, not trying to be morbid, but I'm just, you know, when you go into a morgue and people are under the sheets, they all look pretty much the same. One of the oldest statements is you don't see horses pulling U-Hauls. So no matter what you acquire in this world, you're going to leave it all. Somebody asked about a very wealthy man, a multimillionaire, you know, one of the titans of industry. What did he leave? And somebody answered, he left it all. That's the problem with the stuff of this world. See, you can only utilize it while you're living in your body, but you're going to live forever. So doesn't it make more sense that you ought to put more emphasis on something that's going to last forever than something that's going to last a short time? So no matter what you acquire in this world, you're going to leave it all. Right before I came out here, I looked at my, my table right by my chair, and I have Steve Jobs' biography. Steve Jobs is a creative human being, one of the most creative human beings of our time, and yet because of pancreatic cancer, he left it all. Not, not, nothing negative about Steve, I'm just saying that's the problem with the stuff of this world that isn't going to last, but there's a greater problem with it. If you give up your soul while you're in the pursuit of the things of this world, the, the problem is the stuff of this world doesn't satisfy. I was reading a story this week about Marcus Passion. He's the guy that um, sold his company, which is Moyang AB, a Swedish company. He is the company that developed the game sensation Minecraft. And he um, sold to Microsoft for $2.3 billion, $2.5 billion. His own personal game was $1.3 billion. So what's he going to do with $1.3 billion? Well, very quickly he came to L.A. and he decided he was going to buy an L.A. mansion and he outbid Beyonce and Jay-Z for a $70 million pad. And the real estate ad said that this house he bought was an overwhelming sensory experience. It was outfitted with amenities like M&M towers and a tequila and a vodka bar. had 15 bathrooms and all of them had toilets that cost $5,600. <laughs> why would you do that? <laughs> but that's not why I'm telling you this story. In August of last year, he, he issued the following tweets starting at 4.48 in the morning. 4.48, the problem with getting everything is you run out of reasons to keep trying and human interaction becomes impossible due to imbalance. Two minutes later, 4.50 a.m., hanging out in Ibiza, that's a, an island in Spain that's known for partying, hanging out in Ibiza uh, with a bunch of friends and partying with famous people, able to do whatever I want, and I've never felt more isolated. Two minutes later at 4.52, when we sold the company, the biggest effort went into making sure the employees got taken care of, and they all hate me now. One minute later, 4.53, found a great girl, but she's afraid of me and my lifestyle and went with a normal person instead. And that's the problem. 
See, I used to read stories when I was a kid about sailors and mariners who would get stranded out in the ocean and they would not have water to drink, not have fresh water to drink. And they'd become so delirious that they would drink salt water. And of course, you know what happens if they drank salt water. If they drank enough of it, they would die. Even though it looks like the right thing to do, it's the wrong thing to do. In fact, instead of hydrating the body, it dehydrates the body. The weird thing is, if you drink salt water, you need to drink one and a half times that much fresh water just to survive. Which, by the way, I think that's a great illustration. If you're pursuing the stuff of this world, there's a legitimate reason for it, but you better do at least more for your soul than you do for your body if you're going to be healthy in this world. But what what salt water does to your physical body is like the possessions of this world. It's what it does to your spirit if you depend on those things to keep you going. Uh, One of my favorite shows, I'm a sports junkie and I love ESPN, but one of my favorite shows on ESPN is 30 for 30 and it's kind of like a story that goes behind the story behind the sports and you get into the humanity of sports. And so I was watching 30 for 30 night before last and there was a a program, it was a show called Broke and it was all about the athletes who make hundreds of millions of dollars. Do you know that 78% of NFL players are broke within two years of leaving the NFL? Do you know that 60% of NBA players are broke within five years after leaving? I mean, making hundreds of millions of dollars as I listened to these guys and gals tell their story. It was so interesting because they bought this and they bought that and they kept buying and buying and buying. And so many of these kids grew up absolutely poor and suddenly they have insane wealth and it's like, well, I'll buy this and I'll buy that. But you could just hear it in their voices that all the stuff they were buying was not making them happy. And Jesus said, I'm just asking, what do you gain? What, do you, what does it profit you if you were to like gain the whole world, which nobody's going to do? lose your soul. What a mistake it would be. Because the stuff you get isn't going to last, and on top of that, it's not going to make you happy anyway. And Jesus is saying, what a tragedy it would be if in the process of acquiring stuff that isn't going to satisfy, you lost your soul. Are you a world gainer? Are you a soul keeper? That's a good question. Because, see, I think we Americans don't understand that we have a challenge that the rest of the world doesn't have. We have so much affluence. We don't see ourselves as rich, but compared to the rest of the world, we're all rich. So how about it? Are you a world gainer or a soul keeper? Hey, do you like like the stories like I do of, of people that, like, buy these items that are worth a mint at, like, yard sales? I love these stories. I was reading about... Somebody bought a table at a yard sale for $35 and sold it for a million. Or there was a vase bought for a few dollars at a yard sale, sold for $1.2 million. Or I say a piece of Ming Dynasty. There was a bowl bought for $3 and sold for $2.2 million. I just love reading that kind of stuff until I think about what about the people who sold it? (laughs) You know, I mean, we can look at it. Selling a piece of Ming Dynasty for what was it, $3? What a dumb thing to do. It doesn't even begin to compare to you and me if for just a few moments of pleasure or for, a few, for just some possession or for accolades or acceptance, we wind up selling our souls. People sell cheaply, you know. They really do. Well, Jesus asked two questions. And I have a confession to make. Before I go into the second question, 
I've been preaching since I was 16, and until two weeks ago, I never understood this question, and I have preached it wrong year after year after year. And what's more than that, every preacher I've ever heard preach on this has preached it wrong. I actually listened to the man I think is the greatest preacher of the 20th century. He's dead now, but his sermons are all archived on the Internet back to the late 40s. And I pulled up his sermon, and on my deck, I listened to it yesterday afternoon, and he preached it wrong just like I've done throughout the years. Let me show you Jesus' second question, his follow-up. He said, and what will a man give in exchange for his soul? We preachers all try to correct Jesus. It's like he picked the wrong verb. And here's how we preach it. We, we always say, what would a man take in exchange for his soul? In other words, he's got his soul right here. It's for sale. What kind of offer would he sell his soul for? That's how we all preach it. It's like Jesus didn't use the right verb, so I've got to correct it for him. Two weeks ago, I was praying and studying about this, and I thought, no, you know what? Jesus asked the right verb. He's the right verb. And the question is different than we preached it through the years. See, he's asking two different people a question. Most times it's preached like the follow-up question is a restatement of the previous, but it's not. He's asking two different questions, two completely different questions. The first question is asked for a person who doesn't get it yet. Maybe you're here in the North Auditorium watching online, and you're just like, you know what, Mark? I, yeah, I'd like to sort of like get God, so that's why I just sort of like do the little Sunday thing or Saturday night thing. But really, I'm all about stuff. And Jesus wants to ask you a question. And his question is, what would you be profited if you, were gain, if you gained it all, but then you lost your soul? But the second question is for the person who's had a V8 moment. And realizes, I've lost my soul, and I need to get it back. See, that's what brought some of you into New Spring. It's like you were like pursuing, 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 and then one day you woke up and you said, this is not making me happy. This is blowing up my life, and I've lost my soul. I've lost who I am, and I need to get it back. Now, Jesus has a question for those people. He said, suppose you're sitting at the table and you discover that now you have all the chips. You have all the money. You have every share of stock. You own every square inch of real estate on the planet. It is in your pile. But you realize now that in the acquisition of the world, you have lost your soul. Jesus is now asking, so what do you plan to give in exchange to get your soul back. You say, Mark, I came here, I'm dirt poor, I don't have anything to my name. Do you know Jesus just told you that you have more, you have something more valuable than the whole world? If you have your soul today, you're richer than anybody who doesn't. Jesus is saying, okay, while you were pursuing, chasing stuff, you lost your soul. So there you sit there, you got all these chips so just what are you going to pull out of your stack and buy your soul back with? And it is a rhetorical question because the obvious truth is if you were to gain the whole world, there's nothing in your stack worth what your soul is. You say, Mark, did you, did you just bring me here today to scare the life out of me and tell me there's no hope? I know I tell this story all the time. It's one of my favorites. So just bear with me. I'm getting old. Story about a couple of guys walking to an art museum. One of them happened to be a chess master, and they came across a picture of a chess game. 
And as you get closer to the picture, you see that it's the devil, and he's playing chess with a man. And the man is clearly losing, and the devil is glaring and grinning, and the man is looking chagrined and, and crestfallen. The title of the picture is check, Checkmate. The guy's playing the devil, and he's losing. Checkmate. Well, the guy that wasn't the chess master looked at the picture and went to look at other pictures, but the chess master just kept staring at the picture. And his friend said, hey, come on. The guy said, no, no, something's wrong here. And his friend said, come on, we've got other pictures to look at. No, no, no. He said, something's that's not right. Just, I'm just looking at this board, and something's not right. All of a sudden, slapped his hands, and he said, you know what? We need to get in contact with the artist because he's either got to change his picture or he's got to change his title. So what do you mean? He said, the guy's king has one more move. See, here's the problem. You can't get your soul back, but Jesus has got another move. When you, <laughs> when you were without God and without hope in the world, God loved you. I mean, the truth of the matter is we've all sold our souls. I mean, we, we came in with a soul deficit. That's how we were born into the world. And it's just natural for us to chase the things of this world. So if you do that, don't feel like you're a bad person. It's just that's all of us. But God loved you anyway. Do you know, you say, Mark, I don't understand. You, know, you guys, every, every week I come here, you tell about this man dying. I don't understand. You Christians, like you put up, you, do you realize that the cross is like capital punishment? I mean, you, you know, why would you go to a church with an electric chair? Or, a, you know, a gurney or a hangman's noose? Do you know why we talk about the cross all the time? Every once in a while, I'll preach in one of these sophisticated settings or I'll speak and they'll say, would you please not make any reference to like the blood I'm saying? I'm sorry, I can't come. Let me tell you why. Let me read this to you. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7, the Bible says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Now, here's the thing. We don't, in our culture, the way we use the word redemption in English is nowhere close to what the Bible's talking about. Here's a great word to help you understand what redemption is. It means buying back. Do you ever lose something and have to buy it back? You know, I was reading about Lou Johnson, who was the hero of the 1964, I think it was, World Series for the Dodgers. He hit the home run in the deciding game of the World Series. He was the hero of the series. But unfortunately, Lou got messed up with drugs and alcohol, and he lost his money, and he got to the place where he began to sell his, his precious memorabilia. He sold his uniform, sold his glove, actually sold the bat that he used to hit the home run in the deciding game of the World Series. And then he lost his championship ring to drug dealers. And for 30 years, he didn't have it. And Bob Graziano, the owner of the Dodgers in that time, saw that his Lou Johnson's ring was coming up on eBay. He just made a deal before the sale actually began. He wrote a check for thousands and thousands of dollars to buy Lou's ring back. Lou said, I felt like I got a part of me back. Do you realize that when you were lost and helpless and your soul was gone and there was nothing in your stack to buy it back, that God loved you so much that he sent Jesus into this world to hang on a cross. And the way God looked at it, the blood that came out of his body was a currency that bought our souls back for us. Not a piece of us, but all of us. And not just the part of us that's going to live for a little while, but the part of us that's going to live forever. Let me read one more verse. I love how the message puts it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. It costs plenty for God to get you out of that dead-end, empty-headed life you grew up in. He paid with Christ's sacred blood. Amen. Blood of Jesus, most precious object this world has ever had because it paid for you to get your soul back. 
What will a man give in exchange for his soul? This man, you, ma'am, you, sir, we have nothing to buy it back. But Jesus walked into heaven after he left the cross, and he said to the Father, I have something here to buy Mark's soul back. I have my blood. And the Father said, that'll do. It's okay. He's got it back, and you can have your soul back forever. <laughs> you say, well, Mark, I don't know. I just still don't get that. I, yeah, I'm a pretty good person. And I don't know about all this stuff. I just... I think I'm going to be okay. And the best way I can explain about going forward in life without having God redeem your soul. <laughs> Here's this guy down in New Zealand. His name was Ivan Sajedin. He didn't like to fasten his seatbelt. You know, it's kind of restrictive, isn't it? But there they ticket you pretty heavily if you don't wear your seatbelt. He got 32 tickets for not having his seatbelt on. Cost him a fortune. You remember the old Sammy Hagar sign, I can't drive 55? This guy couldn't wear a seatbelt. So he hit on a great plan, I guess. He figured out a way to drape a belt across him, just across his chest. And he could drive right back police cars. It wouldn't ticket him. And he was fine until he got into a head-on collision, flew into the steering wheel and killed him. The police officer who was working the crime scene said, or the accident scene said, it's not a good idea to trust anything fake. And could I say that to you today? Don't stop short of Jesus. I mean, think about your soul for a moment. Think about the part of you that, that is you. Because after all, you're not a body that has a soul. You're a soul that has a body. Body's going to leave sometime, but soul's going to go on living. If I were you, I wouldn't sell it at a yard sale. I'd put it in the hands of Jesus forever. Could I just say something? I know I'm in overtime. I want to talk to those of you who have already put, you've already trusted Jesus and your soul is safe. What about the people you love? I mean, some of us, we know what sports our kids play. We know about everything going on in their lives except where, how's their soul. Some of us know everything about our next door neighbors, but how's their soul? Could I just take an extra minute? I got to tell you one of the most precious things that ever happened in my life. What a guy here at New Springs, dear friend of mine. And I didn't know him until, unfortunately, he was diagnosed with cancer the second time. And he fought a courageous battle against cancer. But I remember my friend, 56 years of age, um, when I got the call from the hospital that, that he had been told that morning that they'd tried every treatment that they could try. And he wasn't going he, to, he, there's nothing that was going to work. And he was basically told he was going to die in a short time. I raced up to the hospital. And I talked to him for a few moments. But I remember still... You know, some scenes that I've watched are almost too sacred to, for words. His elderly parents came in, and his father was in a wheelchair. And I watched that moment as I stood there behind the father's wheelchair as this elderly father reached out for the hand of his son, and they both knew that his son was not going to live much longer. And I waited to hear what his first words would be. You know the first word that came out of that dad's mouth? Son... Is it well with your soul? And Steve said, yes, Dad. It's well with my soul. You and I love people. That's why this weekend that we're talking about, November 5th and 6th, is so important. That's why writing a name out there on the wall that somebody's going to pray about is so important because people we love, their soul is forever. 
But you could be here today and say, Mark, I've been, you know, you, you got me thinking here, and, and I'm thinking, I've been putting all my eggs in the basket of this world, but I realize that I'm going to live forever, and I really would love for Jesus to buy my soul back for me. How do I get in on that? Best news of the day. You ask. It's not joining a church. It's not community service. It's not in being a good person, which you can't be, neither can I, because good in God's sight is perfect. I can't be perfect for 30 minutes. But you can ask. Romans 10, 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray a prayer that just asks. And I'm going to pray it slowly because you can decide if you want to join me in this prayer. Because you may want to say this to God. You might not be ready to. But if you are ready, I'm going to pray it very slowly. And you can repeat it after me. It's not the words that matter. It's what you feel in your heart. Okay? Let's pray. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I can't buy my soul back, but I believe you love me anyway. I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins. I believe his blood can buy my soul back. I believe he arose from the grave. I'm asking you to help me turn from the old way of living. And help me live for you. Thank you, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Say, Mark, I just pray with you. I don't know what happened to me. Something huge just happened to you. Well, let me just tell you this. I have a gift bag for you. I think I left it over here, but it's just a great gift bag. It's got a brand new Bible in it. It's got some stuff that I have prepared to help you in your first steps following Jesus. All you gotta do is take your talk to his card and, and check the box. I prayed to receive Christ. I'm in the South Auditorium. It's just right outside the door. If you're in the North Auditorium, it's in guest services outside the North door. I promise you, nobody will hassle you, stalk you, ask for your routing number. They just want to give you the bag. Thank you very much for being here. God bless. See you next weekend.